Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Getting your chair straight? There you go. All right. <laughs> Playing musical chairs over here. I feel like I was sitting on a paint can or something. <laughs> About six inches off the floor. <laughs> yeah. You got your, your little kid's table. There you go. That's it. Exactly right. Hey, give us a call, and we'll try to answer any questions you may have. We've got several things we want to kind of talk about sure. this morning, but you never limit to that. Anything that's on your mind, you give us a call, we're going to try to help you out. You know, last week, we had a caller, an interesting call, about the 2019, 20, and 21 Toyota Tundras. Without the transmission cooler. Right. They technically have taken the transmission cooler off. And I did a little research on it, and what Toyota says, they've got what they call a transmission heater uh-huh. on that particular on that unit. unit. And what that is, it's a heat exchanger. And what happens, because the engine can warm up faster than the transmission, it's running engine coolant through a little loop with a heat exchanger. And it heats, it's designed to heat the fluid the fluid when it's really cold outside. However, what they claim is that it will also act as a cooler because if your transmission is getting to 250 degrees the and engine, the engine is at 200 degrees. Sure. So it's t- technically it's cooling. Out, the- right. And... Of course, their story with it is that the fluid, new fluids that they use and can take that kind of heat and all. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see. It will. See how long longevity of it is. Yeah, yeah. Because what we've always heard and believed is that heat is going to kill the transmission. Uh-huh. And the old standard was you want to transmission somewhere around 175 degrees. And these are running up Two, somewhere around 2, 250. Th- right. And it's quite a bit of information on it out there. What I did, I went a step further. I talked to a friend of mine who works for Toyota, and he says, hey, it is well within design parameters. Sure. Should not be a problem. Of course, that should be. Well. I talked to several people I know that work in Toyota dealerships and just asked them if they're seeing a huge influx of transmission failures. Right. And they're not. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, the only thing I can parallel this to, I can remember when I was a younger man, and engines used to run around 160 to 165 degrees. Right. They had like a 165-degree thermostat in it. And I remember when they changed that to a 195-degree thermostat. And everybody says, oh, you're going you're gonna to destroy the engines, man. It's, it's overheating. They, yeah, the heat's going to cook was going, it. Everybody was changing the thermostats out, going back to the old thermostats and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, what we found is they held up just fine. In fact, they held up better, better. than the ones that were colder. Sure. So well, it was a different engineering, more uh, it's, newer technology. It was engineered to deal with the higher heat, and that's how it was. So I'm not saying this is going to work out. You know, it's one of, I kind of just from everything that I gathered, I bet it will. Sure, but I'm saying bet, not buy. Well, <laughs> and, and with Toyota's background, I mean, I would be, I would feel pretty confident about. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think that the they, Toyota engineers have they really have got a truck there with a legendary reputation oh, most for dependability definitely. and I just don't think they would risk all that on something as stupid as, as not this. Putting, yeah. Now, if you don't feel comfortable with that, it, you can pretty easily retrofit and put a cooler on. In fact, I didn't I was talking to Josh at the shop. And of course, this speaks to me not being there as much as I used to be mm-hmm. or hardly at all. And Josh says, we have actually installed several of these for people. People come in, want, and we'll put them on for them. The air cooler says you, you have to fabricate lines. I mean, you can go back to Toyota and buy all the stuff, but like the general right. was saying, very, very expensive. But there are, are aftermarket kits available out there, and you can just use aftermarket components as long as you do it properly. Sure. Route your lines properly. Mount your 
cooler properly. Cooler properly. You know, it can be done. And it's not an inexpensive thing, probably $600 range somewhere to get all this installed if you want it on there. But like I said, there's not a tremendous influx of transmission problems that I can ascertain. I talked to several people who work in the industry that would be in a position where they would know if they were having a lot of warranty problems with them. So do they run hotter? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it Are going they to be a problem? We, we just have to see. Right. So it's just not really enough information until... Well, they had not been out long enough. Yeah, I guess in, in another two or three years, we'll, we'll know. We'll know. But anyway, that is the story on that. So okay. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Clark on the line. Good morning, Clark. Hey, good morning. How yes, y'all doing? doing great, good morning. Sir. I've got a couple of Honda CRVs that uh, took in to do some oil changes, and they kind of trying to push a couple of things on me that I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. One was on the coolant and the transmission. Mm-hmm. They want they want to flush the coolant and they want to flush the transmission. And I was wondering, do we really should we do that or should we just replace the fluid? Yeah, Clark. You know, whenever I hear the word flush, I automatically add the word wallet in front of it wallet flush because most of the time now it may just be a matter of semantics they may be just saying flush and what they really mean is a drain and fill but you don't want to connect any kind of little machine to this thing that's going to run chemicals through it or any of that because what that connotates to me they sell these machines that are low-tech people can use they hook it on they walk away they go do something else and it sits there and runs some stuff through your car I just don't like that at all. That is not going to be effective. That is not going to do you any good. And the last thing in the world you want to do is introduce any kind of foreign chemical into your cooling system. It's already a very delicate balance. Now, if the vehicle is five years old on the initial fill or three years thereafter, the coolant probably requires changing. But the way you change it is you simply drain it out, refill it with the proper mix of coolant and distilled water or use the pre-mixed and fill it back up. That's all that's necessary. Anything yeah, beyond a, that is going to is going to cause a problem. I typically use the the Honda. Yeah, that by far. coolant with it. Yeah, the blue one. Right, and, and it's yeah. already mixed, so you don't even have to worry about distilled water. It already comes pre mixed, which yeah, that right. solves a whole bunch of problems. But if you go on my website and just type in the word coolant or replace coolant, I've got several articles in there, and they go into all the chemistry and all that kind of stuff. More stuff than I got time to talk about on the radio. But oh, sure. It'll and give I, yeah. you a tremendous amount of information on that. But, yeah, the last thing in the world you want to do is introduce any kind of foreign chemical in there. So when I, when I hear flush, I get real nervous. Same thing with the transmission. Huh? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. All you need on the Honda transmission is a drain and fill. And if you're doing it on a real regular basis, let's say you do it every 15,000 miles, all you have to do is take the plug out, drain three quarts out, put the plug back in, or three and a half quarts, depending on the model, and fill it back up. If it's gone longer than that, let's say 30, 40, 50,000 miles, I do a double drain and fill. Same exact okay. thing, except what you do is you drain the fluid out, refill it with fresh fluid, go drive it, come back and immediately do it again. Because okay. when you turn it off, the fluid runs back through the filter, which tends to pick up the wash biggest. that filter out yeah. somewhat. So that's the way you clean the filter on it. And again, it's such an easy thing. Most people could do it themselves. If you don't want to do it yourself, it's not going to be a terribly expensive thing, even if you have a shop do it. But, yeah, that's all you want to do. You don't want to start disconnecting cooling lines and hooking a machine to it and running some kind of foreign chemicals and stuff to it. That's, no. that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's what I thought in there, and I was a little worried. They wanted to replace the the radiator hoses, too, but I've been monitoring the uh, the level in the uh, reservoir, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it change, so I haven't figured out why they want to replace the hose either. Yeah, what year I, model is it? I got two of them, one to 2014. That's the one they're saying the hose needs replaced. Wow. And I'm... I'm, I'm 
that, them hoses, they just seem to be lasting I'm going to tell well. you, Clark, in my experience, Honda hoses, they last a long, I've long, seen them go 20 time. years with no problems. Yeah. And the thing is, the hose that you get is not going to be as good as the one you're taking off. Because yeah. that Honda hose, the original equipment hose, is excellent. I We just see almost no problem. I'd have to have a reason. Right. I'm not saying this one didn't get rubbed uh, spot right. on, or maybe it's the one in a million that, that went out early, but... The one you get, particularly if they go and put an aftermarket hose on there, it's not going to be nearly as good as the one you're taking off. Yeah, I just uh, I retired from the Dow Chemical, mm-hmm. and I okay. made EPDM. EPDM, that's there right. You go. That's right, and that stuff just lasts forever that's now right. compared to 30 or 40 years ago, you know? Absolutely. Well, you used to use Neoprene or you know, kind of a, a vinyl-type product, and, yeah, the longevity on that is not even one-tenth of what this stuff is. And i got to try to be quick here. Also on the... Do these, I got a 2008 Honda CRV and mm-hmm. a 2014. Do they have a timing belt or a chain in those engines? Do you know? What engine's in it? Four cylinder. Four cylinder. No, it's yeah. be a chain on your four cylinder. The only timing belt engine Honda has left is a 3.5 V6. Okay. They've gone to chains and everything else. So I don't have to worry no, about the drive belt or mm-hmm. that thing. Well, there's an there's outside belt. belt. Yeah. yeah, there's a serpentine well, belt on the outside. But again, that's yeah. made out of EPDM also. They generally last at least seven years. Yeah, but I was just worried. I knew that in one of my old Toyotas or whatever. Right, a timing belt. That if you didn't replace it, every they had, they had a timing belt instead of yeah. a chain. Uh-huh. Every seven years, 100,000 miles normally. Yeah, and then the last question, spark plugs. Mm-hmm. How often do you really need to change spark day and age? About 100,000 miles on most vehicles. you got to watch. There are a handful of them out there that still use copper plugs because they don't want them to sit in the head that long, and those mm-hmm. are going to be around 30,000 miles. You can generally call the dealership and ask the price of the plug, and if it's like three, four, or five dollars, it's gonna be thirty thousand miles. If it's like fifteen to thirty dollars, then it's got the iridium plugs. It'll probably go a hundred thousand. Yeah, they want like two hundred and twenty dollars for the spark plug. That's yeah. got to be the labor too. So, well, on a four cylinder, that's almost that no much. labor, yeah. man. I mean, I mean, they're right there on top. Yeah, that, that's, that's maybe thirty minutes labor to change all four of them. Yeah, it's just yeah. Super, super easy. Yeah, I know. That's why I'll probably do it. Just make sure which ones I get. Yeah. Either go back to Honda is probably your safest bet, although they will charge a little more for it. But the Honda plug is normally going to be either NGK or Denso. So if you can get the part number, you can buy them through NGK or Denso a little bit less. But they are expensive. It's an expensive plug. Yeah, you've convinced me over the years to go back and get the OEM. Well, that way you know you got the right plug. Exactly. In there. Yep. I think that's it then pretty much in there. So yeah, yeah, my big thing is that flushing. I, yeah. That just that bothered me. Well, just, I'm gonna tell you what happens, Clark. So many of these places run loss leaders on all changes to get you in the door. They sell an all change cheaper than it costs them to do it. But then they're gonna sell you all this other crud and they're gonna make a fortune. Try to on make that. up for it. Yeah. So you yeah. you're subsidizing their loss leader. Oh man, I went there it was one time, uh, my two thousand and four Camry. My son went to law school in Oklahoma, so mm-hmm. he took it up there. And I've been nervous because it's 2004. He got up there and put a new set of tires and had front-end alignment. And mm-hmm. then he went and got an oil change at the dealer. And they told him he needed to do a front-end alignment. Yeah. And it turned out, the way they were saying that, is they had some markings on the floor that they used to tell whether it was in alignment. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I've, I've gotten real wary of yeah. I hate to say that of dealers, you yeah, because I don't think all dealers are like that. No, they're not. They're not. There's some good ones out there, just like everything else. But, yeah, you got you to gotta be a little careful. Yeah, but I appreciate y'all. Bye, Clark. Thank, y'all have a nice weekend. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you, you too. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a first quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
If you ever plan to move away. Man, you have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bro. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is Jonas, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between drills, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. We were talking about the new Toyota pickup truck, right. the Tundra. And, again, time is going to tell on this. I can say that, in my experience, if this works out for them and they don't have any problems, you'll probably see removal oh. of... Across the board. Across the board. Everybody yeah. jump on board. Initially, when anything new comes along, it's met with resistance, and sometimes rightly so, sometimes not. We just don't have enough info here to tell. But I can tell you, GM, Ford, Chrysler, everybody else, if this works out for them, they'll, oh, be, yeah, they'll be the next ones to follow suit. Oh, yeah. That's one more part they don't have to put on a vehicle. So initially, it's less cost for them, but course the vehicle is probably going to cost three times as much as it does now yeah regardless fair. well but. it's less cost and less service problems because everything you remove from the vehicle doesn't cause service it you know issues sure. one less system to leak one less system for a rock to fly up and knock a hole in right so if you get by without it it's really advantageous to everybody to do it now like i said the, the big question here is if will it work out yeah will it work out and if not i'm sure they'll come out with a retrofit and some kind of thing where, hey, you put this back on there. but Right. I mean, Toyota's been pretty good about that. They really have. And, and I got to say, I've seen over my career many, many times where something new came along that kind of flew in the face of logic. Another example is when they start taking the grease fittings off, off the front-end parts. And right. everybody, oh, my God, damn, we can't grease these front-end. They go, wear out, da-da-da-da. Is there a way we can drill a hole and put a fitting in there? And come to find out, they left it a lot longer without the grease fitting because what was happening, people were improperly greasing them. Or not greasing them at all. Either not greasing them at all because they had to make it where some grease could come out before you could put some more in. So all the grease would leak out and it would run dry. Or people would take a dirty old grease gun and they would shove dirt and trash up through the zerk fitting. Sure. Or they'd blow the seal out because they'd over-grease them. So when they took the grease fittings off the front end parts, I remember everybody balking oh, yeah. by everybody's looking for ways to go back and put them on there again and all that stuff. But in essence, in time, what we noticed is that they lasted a whole lot longer without that. They did. And, you know, same thing as we mentioned earlier, when they took the engine temperatures and raised them up so much more, the engines lasted longer. So, you know, it's always, I guess, tempting to say, oh, something's changed, man, it's going to be bad. Right. And in many cases it is, and this may be. But Time will tell. We just don't know. Yeah, they're standing. They're not apologizing for it. They're well. I mean, it's been out. Body guns on it's it. Been out two years now. Yes, yeah, since nineteen. So, I mean, you would think in two years, I would think there would be a rag. There would have been because a lot of those vehicles probably have a hundred thousand miles on them now. Close so to certainly, yeah. if they would have have having problems, 
just statistically, there's no more failures than they had before. Although, like I said, it does fly in the face of logic. We've always been told, keep it cool, keep it cool. Uh-huh. Heat's going to kill it. So, yes, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> had another gentleman who wrote this morning, and he's having a lot of trouble with his van. He's got a conversion van. Okay. And it started a few years back that it would crank over just fine, but it wouldn't start. All right. So I think the first time, and I'm just going by memory, so if I don't quote this exactly right, if he's listening, please forgive me, but this is the gist of it. The first time it happened, he had towed in. They said, well, let's change the fuel pump. Well, it changed the fuel pump, and it started, and it ran okay for a while. Then at some point thereafter, maybe a year later, year and a half later, it occurred again. Same thing, went back, let's change the fuel pump again. Well, this has gone on, I don't know, three or four times they've changed the fuel pump, and it still starts happening after. And it seems like it's happening more often and more regular now. Okay. And the last couple of times, he said, well, maybe it's fuel pump relay. So they changed the relay and started. And, but then again, it keeps recurring. And like I told him, you're going to have to get this to someone who has a diagnostic culture in the shop. For instance, if a vehicle will not start, and you replace the fuel pump, you do not know for sure you fixed anything unless you had some tests to go along with that. Sure. For instance, if we check it and we have no fuel pressure. Okay. That does not necessarily that mean, mean the fuel pump is bad. bad. It just means we have no fuel pressure. Exactly. Next thing, we go back with a voltmeter, and we see if we have power and ground to the pump. If we got power and ground at the pump, do we have a command to the pump to come on? Sure. Because the number of things that can interrupt the command to the pump, for instance, the theft system can shut the pump down well if i check it i've got no fuel pressure i got no power and ground because the command is being commanded off now if i change the fuel pump i'm disconnecting that fuel pump i'm breaking the circuit right so therefore the module may go to reset at that point so you put new fuel pump it starts again but if i'd have just unplugged the line plugged back back on it might have started again we don't know that same thing with the fuse box i'm shaking a lot of wires now around when i'm in there probe around pulling relays out putting right. relays back in so just the fact that you got a problem and you do something and it goes away does not mean you fixed it or if you even held a problem let's say we've got one connector at the fuel pump that's got hot and it's stretched out and every once in a while it doesn't make contact well if we go in and replace we plug it back on it may start again sure and again if we start moving wires around we may move the wire and well, it may you, start again. You know all that gets moved when the tank has to right. come down. So. But suspicious knowledge. Suspicious knowledge is something that looks like this, but we really don't have any basis in fact for it. Well, and, and the first clue is we've already put two fuel pumps in this vehicle. Right. So, or three or, or four, however, or however many. many. And I had a guy with a similar cir- set of circumstances, and his was a blower motor. And right. the blower motor, he thought, when I quit blowing is what he knew. And, of course, what he says is my blower motor went out. Okay, wait a minute. Back up. How do you know the blower motor went out? Well, I replaced it and it worked. Again, how do you know the blower motor went out? Uh All you know is the blower motor wasn't working. Quit working. Now, that could have been the wire going to it. It could have been the relay. It could have been the module commanding it. It could have been any number of things. The fact that you unplugged it and plugged the new one in and it started working doesn't mean that it may the old be a coincidence. One, well, you don't know the old one was bad. Right. You, you, nobody ever established that the old one was bad. It just quit working. So then a few months later, it goes out again. Well, darn thing's bad. Another, must have been a bad part. Puts another one on. A couple right. months later, it happens again. Uh, well, it must be these aftermarket parts. I'm going to go buy an OEM part. Well, they put that on there. Same thing. 
point is the problem has never been diagnosed. Exactly. It just happened to be that when you unplugged and plugged a part, new party in, it started working again. Right. So you can continue on this path forever. For a long time. Or you can go to someone who has some knowledge and let him do a proper test sequence on it. And you have to give him the information up front. That's you right. have to tell him, look, we've been fighting this problem. We do this and this happens. You know, don't just go in there and say, my blower motor's not working. Change the blower motor. Right. Well, if you say change blower motor and the he, shop changed blower motor, he did exactly what you said because right. you improperly you di- diagnosed the problem. Exactly. You told him what to do. He did exactly what you wanted to do. So you can't be mad at him. No. You had a, a lady that called early in the week and she says, can you change a timing chain on a XYZ? Uh-huh. I sure we can, but why, why do you want to change the timing chain? Well, I had it checked. And they said the time chain was bad. Okay, but now why do you want to change the timing chain? Well, they said it was bad. Okay, but how do we know they're right? Because all that you know is that you've got a noise in the motor when you crank it up. You don't know the time chain is bad or not. No, you don't. You may have low oil pressure. Yep. And if you got low oil pressure, it's not energizing that sprocket, so it's going to rattle like the devil when you crank it up. Put everything new. It's still going to do it because you ain't got no oil pressure. Exactly. You're not having oil pressure fast enough. It was not diagnosed properly to begin with. That's right. So I tried to explain to I said, well, we can change that if that's the problem. But what I would prefer to do is let's go in. Let's figure out Diagnose what's wrong the problem. It. Well, how much is that? Well, it shouldn't want to spend any money on it. Uh-huh. Well, I've already had it. I don't want to spend any more money. Okay. okay. Well, but this is, this is the thing. If we go in and spend $2,500, say, putting a whole new timing chain assembly on here, and you still got the same exact problem, who's at fault? Right. Well, uh, 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 yeah, I would suggest we get to the root of the problem before, before we start, we start throwing apart. parts at it. Because it's highly unusual for a vehicle with 60,000, 70,000 miles to need for a timing chain. chain. Right. Unless something else has happened. If it's run out of oil and that's burned up, then you got a bigger problem. Oh, most definitely. So, hey, you got to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. ACO, it's the place to go. Any automotive questions you may have, why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901, and that's what Jeep did. Good morning, Jeep. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Long-time listener. Go. Well, thank you. Um, thank I've got you. a question for you. i got a 2007 Toyota Tacoma. Mm-hmm. i got 236,000 miles on this Rascal. Okay. okay. And about nine, ten months ago, my cruise control went out. Can you explain in layman's terms how these things actually work? And is it a pain in the behind to get this thing repaired? Well, just depending on what it is, Jeep, it can be so many different things. There's a lot of components in it. Basically, the way that it works, when you push the button, you're sending a request to a module to tell it you won't cruise. Now, it looks at a few different factors to make sure that it can do cruise. And the first thing it looks at the brake light switch and make sure the brake's not on because the brake's on is not going to let you do that. 
it'll look at the speed you're driving, and if it's below a certain parameter, it's not going to let it engage. And then there's several other things. If it acknowledges all that's correct, then what it does, it tells the PCM that it wants to maintain speed at a certain mile per hour. The PCM just opens the throttle body that much because it's all drive-by wire. You don't have a cable like you used to. So it just opens the throttle body that much and starts watching the miles per hour and maintains it at that speed. The point is there's a lot of things in there that can interrupt the circuit. So you would, fortunately, the module that does all this stores codes just like a check engine light does. So the first thing you do is you go in, you retrieve the codes in the cruise control module and see what area is causing the problem. Now, it's not going to say this part's bad. It may say lack of speed input, which then you have to go and check. It may be a loose wire. Maybe the speed sensor's bad. Who knows? It may say lack of power or lack of ground or whatever. Then you just got to go. A lot of times the switches go out on them because that's one of the moving parts that gets used a lot. We do change those a fair number of times. The brake light switch. The brake light switch. And even though your brake lights themselves are working, see, that brake light switch is not an on-off switch. It's a series of components inside of a thing. One goes out to the transmission to kick it in and out of lockup. One goes to the brake lights, turn them on. One goes to the cruise control. You know, It's got all kind of contacts. If one contact goes bad and it just doesn't get that, everything else may still work, but it's not. that's not going to operate. For instance, yeah. let's say that sensor's telling it that the brakes are applied when they really aren't. It's not going to go to cruise because it thinks you got the brakes so, on. So back in the old days, it was, didn't they have these things hooked up to, like, vacuum lines? They did, yeah, they did. I, that's been gone a long, 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 long time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord, okay. Well, that just goes to show you um, how out of date I am. Yeah, I mean, anything that you ever knew about a car, Jeep, just forget it. It don't apply anymore. <laughs> if it does apply, it's wrong, you know. <laughs> hey, Lewis, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate your time. Okay, man. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going right back to our phone lines with Darren. Good morning, Darren. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, Good morning. Sir. I got an 06 Lexus LX470, mm-hmm. and I got a check engine code, and it's a PO430. Okay. Catalytic converter. And before I start chasing rabbits, I was uh, the Internet says it's everything from an air filter to Cadillac converter. Well, it is, and probably a bunch of stuff in between. If either one of the oxygen sensors is not reading correctly, it could set that code because it uses the oxygen sensors to measure the efficiency of the converter. It's looking at the upstream and it's comparing it to the downstream, and it's supposed to be vastly different. The upstream should be jumping up and down. Lower one of the behind the converter should be relatively stable. But let's say the one behind the converter goes bad and it just quits reading. Well, it's going to compare them and it's going to say... Uh, it's not reading at all it's now. It's not reading at all, so it's going to throw a light. The same thing, let's say the upstream goes bad, it's sitting flat, the downstream was sitting flat, then it's going to compare them. You know, it's, it's all kinds of things like that that could possibly be a problem. Another thing is what it's measuring is actually oxygen remaining in the exhaust. And supposedly when the engine combustion, it should be relatively low oxygen in the exhaust. When it goes to the converter, it ought to burn the rest of it up, so it ought to be almost none on the output side. But let's say you've got a vacuum leak in the exhaust system, and it's not necessarily making noise because it's sucking air in. Well, now you got more oxygen in your exhaust. So, you know, these are just a handful of the things. What you have to do to test that is you have to go in first with some kind of instrumentation that can give you live readings, look at the, at the patterns on your oxygen sensors, see what they are. And if the patterns are correct, 
then you have to go on the next thing and on as, as far as that goes. They also make gas analyzers, which will tell you what gas is going in, what gas is coming out, all that kind of stuff. So there's any amount of instrumentation you can use to determine what the part is. Converter itself is one possibility, and it is a pretty expensive possibility. So you don't want to just jump to that conclusion. You know, I would advise to take it to someone who can do some proper testing for you. Even if you're pretty handy and you want to change it yourself, at least get it professionally diagnosed before you start throwing parts at it. Because if, if you go in there and you start changing stuff, particularly if you go online and you buy some converter offline, the aftermarket junk, it may not be as good as the one you're taking off. Same thing with oxygen sensors, same thing with everything else. So unless you're going back to Toyota buying these parts, you're probably not getting as good as you're taking off. And that's going to get real expensive real quick. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking that, that I, I'm, before I start chasing mm-hmm. bad parts after good, that that's I right. have it diagnosed. I mean, if you got some instrumentation, there's certain things you can It's really kind of hard to check a modern sensor because they're not really oxygen sensors anymore. Now they're air fuel sensors and they read differently. Unless you got a, a lab scope of some sort where you can see the pattern on them, it's really kind of hard to test them in any kind of analog method. But I would go ahead and just invest some money in find a shop that's got a culture of diagnosis. And there's, you got different kind of shops out there. Just because a guy's got a plaque out front doesn't mean he knows necessarily what he's doing or that he wants to do the way you want it done. You need to do a little bit of talk and do a little bit of investigation. You want a shop that has a culture of diagnostics behind them. This shop is the guy who can figure out what's going on. And go ahead and pay him whatever he charges to test it and then or, or let him fix it if you want. Where you can always tell if the shop knows what they're doing, when he tells you, okay, we've checked it, and it is the downstream oxygen sensor, say. You say, okay, great. Now, if you change it, do you absolutely guarantee me this is going to fix this problem? And if he says, oh, uh, well, uh, you know, we got uh, then you're in the wrong place. <laughs> if he says, yeah, absolutely, it's going to fix it, then you're in the right place. I appreciate it. Okay, All man. right, sir. Thanks for calling. I-291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Go and give us a call. We've got plenty of time left. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And if you can't get your questions answered live this morning, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Sure wish you would like hearing from you. Gives us something to talk about. That's right. Gives us some interesting information. And we were talking a little bit about diagnosis, not unlike our last caller. And if you go in and just start changing stuff, you may, for instance, you may go in and replace the catalytic converter. Mm-hmm. And the light may go out and everything may work fine. For a while. A while. And that while might be a day, a week, a month, who knows. For one thing, whenever you go in, you change a component, you clear the codes out, it's going to clear all the readiness tests out. Correct. Now, those readiness tests, depending on how you drive, can take anywhere from half a day to to three weeks or or a month to clear. For instance, let's say you've got a quarter tank of fuel in the tank, and you go in, you change the converter, and you clear the tests. Well, what it's going to do, it's going to say, it's going to start trying to run these tests again. When it gets to the EVAP test, it says quarter tank, it's too low. We're going to report the test. So you keep driving it. You don't drive that much. So maybe it takes a week for you to run out of fuel or, or get low on sure. fuel to, to go get gas. So that's a week gone. It's not going to run that test because of the wrong amount of fuel in it. You fill it up. Well, now it's full. So it's going to abort the test so it gets three quarters. Because it's got too much fuel. Well, two more weeks may go by until you get down to three quarters of a tank. And then 
You get three quarters of a tank, you drive it long enough, wham, the light comes back on. So maybe three weeks to a month has gone by. Sure. So you say, well, it was fixed, man, the light didn't come back on. No, no, no. You just just interrupted the sequence of testing and you did something. Let's say you get up every morning, you crank your car up, you drive it a short distance, maybe a mile or two, three, four miles. Shut it down. Shut it down. Let it sit. Let's say you get up every morning and you go to the grocery store. Right. Just for instance. Or you got a special breakfast restaurant you like. You get in your car, you crank it up, it's cold. It's not going to run the test. It starts to warm up, then you shut it off before it runs the test. When you come back and start it again, it's no longer a cold start. No matter how long. No matter how long, it's going to say engine temperature doesn't match the ambient temperature, so it's not. So it may not run that test again for the whole day. Sure. So under these conditions, you could go literally months, and it's not going to run the test. Until it runs all the tests, it's not going to start measuring codes again, so that light may stay out. Now, if you go get an inspection sticker, it's going to say, hey, your tests are incomplete. So, so you're can't. still not going to get an inspection sticker. But the thing is, it may be an extended period of time. So in your mind, you say, well, it was fixed, and now it came back. It must have been a bad part. Uh-huh. So you start changing parts. That's how you get in trouble. You really, like I run, said, run it off on a tangent. superstitious knowledge. You know, you think you know something because of what you observe, but you're not, you don't know all the factors. You don't know all the facts there. So you can't make that observation because you exactly. don't know what you're looking at. Go back to our phone lines. We've got Charles on the line. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 86 GMC. I actually wrote to you about it earlier. I think it was earlier this week. Okay. About the starter problems I've been having. And you were talking about diagnostics earlier in the show. And my mm-hmm. question is, this is a very simple, you know, layout on this truck. There's nothing real fancy like computers and stuff in there. Is there any kind of diagnostic I need to do? The starter is grinding. I mean, it's just the starter went bad, but I just put it on in August. Uh, and it's the second starter I've had to do that. Is there something else that could be causing that? What kind of grind noise is it, Charles? When does it grind? It's, it's while you're cranking and it's grinding, or is it after you finish cranking or before you, no, you first while, hit it? It's, no, it's while I'm cranking it. And the way the way it does it is I'll, I'll go out there, cold start, mm-hmm. no problem. It, uh, I mean, it's a carburetor, so it takes a little bit to start it right. up. I can drive it for 10, 15, 20 minutes right. and then cut it off in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And when I go to start it back, it clicks. And sometimes it'll click once or twice, and then I'll turn the key and just let it sit there for a second. Mm-hmm. I'll start it right back up and no problem. Yeah, I, I did that for probably a couple of months, and then it started grinding one time when I tried to start it. Yeah, what you need to do at very least, Charles, is you're going to need to go to the starter when it's doing it and check and see if you got power and ground to the signal wire. In other words, you got you got two big terminals, one on top of the other. One's going to be battery voltage going in. But that solenoid in there is also a relay. So there's a third little terminal to the side. That is the power coming out to tell it to start. Because let's say you've got something like a neutral safety switch that's bad. What you may be hearing is the relay clicking because it's engaging and it's disengaging because of that neutral safety switch. So you haven't established for sure the starter's bad. Now, if I got 12.5 volts at that big terminal at the top to ground, then I've got battery voltage getting there. Let's say I don't, let's say I've got six or seven volts there i may have a loose cable i may have some high resistance in the cables all kind of stuff like that so i've got to have 12 and a half volts at that big terminal to ground and when i turn the key i've got to have 12 volts on that little small terminal to ground because that means i'm getting a signal now if you got all of that then you can rest pretty much assured it's going to be the starter 
So it's a fairly simple diagnostics. And if you go on my website and just type in the word starter, there's an article and it shows you everything I just told you, which terminals and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, all you need is a voltmeter and a way to get under, get to the starter. You could know for sure at that point. Because let's say you've got a cable that's, I don't know, got some broken wires in it. It's got some battery acid wicked up in it. And sometimes it makes good contact. Sometimes it doesn't. Then when you click, what you're hearing is a solenoid pulling in, but it doesn't have enough available voltage to turn the starter motor. So it buzzes. So it just it, it, it may buzz or, or grind or just right. click or whatever. Until you establish that you got full battery voltage at the starter, you can't just automatically condemn the starter. Okay, and you say if it's if it's got full battery voltage and everything looks good there, then it's the starter? Well, so yeah, if, if you got full voltage there from the big terminal to ground and you got 12 volts, 12 and a half volts from the little terminal to ground, then you know you've got everything it needs to start. When it's acting up. When it's acting up, right. It, it, because, I mean, if, if you, you test that it and, and it working. cranks fine, well, then no, you haven't learned anything yet. You're going to have to have the voltmeter on it when you hit the key and it clicks or grinds or whatever and then see what it is. And if you got full voltage, everything you need, you know, what we do a lot of times with one of these things, Charles, because it's kind of hard to get some of those terminals, I just take a little wire, put me a eye on it. I go in and I hook it up to the starter and bring it inside where I can get my voltmeter on it. And that way, when it happens, I can be looking at my voltmeter. Just be sure to tape it all up where it doesn't get those wires tangled in anything when you're driving. But you just make a, a remote test point because it's kind of hard to jump on the truck and start checking, you know, when it's occurring. Yeah, and that's a whole lot safer than having my seven-year-old turn the key. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. yeah just run a couple of wires inside and, and just check, you know, between ground and those two terminals. If you got full voltage there when it occurs, then most likely you're into the starter. I mean, the only other thing I can think of, if the flywheel was damaged, it mm-hmm. may make a grinding noise. But, you know, if it went away when you changed the first starter for a period of time, then that's probably less likely. And I've looked at that, like I marked that flywheel, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, had I turned the engine over and, and watched you know the flywheel, I turned it over with a uh, with a breaker bar, and mm-hmm. I didn't see any scarring or anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, flywheel, like I said, if it's like it, slightly bent. Or yeah, something. if it went away yeah. with the last uh, one, then it, it's pretty likely that it's not going to be the flywheel. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. All I right. appreciate it. You I bet. Love show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. I right, got to take our third quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks standoff Louisiana one, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. You can ask our question for you. Give us a call. It's 291 I got another email from a gentleman who wants to restore a 57 Chevy Bel Air. Right. And I intend to talk to about that today, but I don't think we've got enough time to do justice to it. So we don't. We'll maybe next, next week. week. Yeah, we'll go yeah. ahead and cover that. Yeah, there's a restoration there's a, of old cars. There's some things that we could definitely get into with that. Sure. So, uh, yeah, give us a little since next week and we'll be talking about that. We'll go back to our phone. I've got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, man. Good. I'm going to call that massage guy when I get off the phone with you. But anyway, you I go. have a 02 Corvette, uh-huh. 74,000 miles on it. And when you, you don't drive it for about three weeks, mm-hmm. don't crank it up. The battery's dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's a pretty new battery in it. Yeah, yeah. Most likely, and I'm assuming if you drive it pretty much every day, every other day, it stays up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you can go out there in two weeks. It's kind of weak, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to crank. Yeah. Right. Most likely, Mark, what you've got is some sort of a parasitic draw on there. Our parasitic draw is something is staying on that should not be staying on. And, unfortunately, that's not as simple as in the old days where it was the glove box light or something like that. There's so many things on that car, even on O2 on a Corvette, that like modules and stuff that can, they're supposed to power down after so many seconds of seeing ignition off. But if one of those modules goes bad and it stays up, it may sit there and start pinging the other modules and waking them up and it can kill a battery in, in a week or two pretty easily. You have to go in and do some testing to locate that. And because it takes a fair amount of time to occur, you could probably have to bring the car somewhere and be prepared to leave it with them. Now, alternatively, if you want to try to do something yourself, what you could do is disconnect one of the battery terminals and hook a milliamp meter would be even more useful. Uh-huh. It's got to draw less than 5 milliamps. If it's pulling more than that, let's say it's pulling 7 milliamps or 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever, then you know got you've got to draw on the system. What you'd have to do is go in and start unplugging things one at a time until the draw goes away, and then you can figure out which one it is. So it's just kind of time-consuming. It's not rocket science, but one of the things I have noticed on Corvettes, I'm not saying this is it, but we've noticed it a lot, the seat control module on them seems to have a problem with with that where it stays awake. I know I've changed two or three of those over the years and, and solved that problem. Now, it doesn't mean that's what's wrong with yours, but that's just one thing. If you wanted to go in and disconnect your seat control module and see if it quits doing it, of course, the seat's going to quit operating. You can, you can still sit in it, obviously, yeah. but you can't work all the controls. That's one thing you could try. Some of them, some function in the radio will stay on. It, even though it's not playing, something keeps alive in there, and it starts pinging other computers, waking it up. But go on my website and just type in the word parasitic draw, and I got a big old article okay. that goes all through that. In fact, it tells you a little bit about how to test for it. And that's most likely what you're going to have. Yeah, I believe if I had a vehicle that sat that much, I would get like what they call a, a battery tender. Yeah, you could do that too. Where you could plug, you know, when you get done, you park the car, you open the hood, you plug this battery tender in. It's basically a low-maintenance battery charger. Yeah, yeah, I have one on my motorcycle. Well, I, yeah. would, I would probably do the same thing with the Corvette, at least till you can get it fixed. Yeah, you can get those. Okay. You, you want to get one that's got a computer in it so it doesn't overcharge the battery because right. overcharging is just bad as undercharging. They even make them that right. can sit in the sun. they got solar cells on them, and sure. it's enough to keep that battery up. Uh-huh. Okay, now this is something you could fool with, huh? You could determine. I don't work on Corvettes. I just It's just one of the cars we don't have the equipment to do, but anybody who does okay. Corvettes could do it for you. Okay. All right. Well, I do appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, I see we're just about out of time. Get ready to start getting on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. That's right. That really helps us when you fill those written views out. Number one, it makes our day because we can see we're doing a good job. Everybody wants to hear doing a good job if sure. they are. And number two, it moves us up in the rankings because the more positive reviews you have, the higher you likely the you're going to come up at the top of the list when someone types in a generic term like auto repair, auto repair podcast. Uh-huh. And if you've ever searched for anything on Google, you know, obviously it'll bring up 10,000 pages. And if you're like number 1,000, you probably never going to click that <laughs> Exactly. So those reviews serve to move us up in the rankings so more people get to listen. More people listen long we can do the show. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.